Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're talking about Dungeons and Doggies. Today we're talking to Katie Winchester. How's it going, Katie? It's going good, thanks. Um, so uh, before we get started, uh, where might people know you from? Oh goodness, uh, I'm an animator who lives here in Vancouver, so most people would probably know me just at work or in the animation scene. Um, but also... Um, Online, I've started to make quite a bit of uh, Dungeons and Doggies related artwork, and uh, my handle is Fire Noggin because of the hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, ever since I started running this Dungeons and Doggies game, straight away was quite a bit of inspiration, and I had to make art and fan art of my players and everything which uh luckily the the makers of dungeons and doggies were really supportive of and really loved it and they started to retweet it and i was like yay good <laughs> i'm glad you love this stuff because ah uh, it's just it brings me a lot of joy so for for players that or for listeners that aren't aware this is literally a campaign where the players are playing dogs yes that's right um awakened dogs so even though they well, they don't have opposable thumbs they are just dogs but they are dogs that understand how to use equipment and weapons and can talk to humanoids and are intelligent um to a greater or lesser degree depending on the personality <laughs> of the player um so yes yeah it's a it's a, just a unique spin on you know, a different kind of race type so Something that I'm curious about is because they are dogs and you said they don't have opposable thumbs is that's got to be a whole can of worms of just how do they interact uh-huh. with everything. Yes. And while they were particularly like level one and all of us were trying to figure things out, I didn't want to make it a burden because you want you want the fighter to be able to use a sword. You know, they can't do very much else. <laughs> <laughs> they got to be able to use their weapons, right? Um, so we came up with ideas about um, not improvised weapons, um, custom. So a custom-made sword that had been made for uh, our fighter dog that had an interesting handle that could be held by the mouth. Um, and then for some of the others, like for our little rogue there, we came up with the idea that this chihuahua could sort of balance on their back legs and use their mouth and their paws to pull an arrow right or to 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 use a little uh weapons that could be used with the mouth and the paw but no thumbs and by now pretty almost everybody except one still has got mage hand <laughs> so now <laughs> we're just like just mage hand 
open that door, mate. Just it's, do it. It's funny because when you mentioned like the 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 fighter putting the, the having this like a custom handle for the sword in their mouth, I haven't played much Dark Souls, but one of the things I do know is one of the bosses uh, yeah. is a giant wolf called Sif, yeah. who is just has a giant sword that holds in his mouth and is able to do all sorts of crazy acrobatic stuff with it. But I think that's it's it's really awesome that you've you've leaned into like no they don't have thumbs we're not going to just hand wave it as mm-hmm. they can do all the things yeah. they the players and you had to figure out how to make it work well we we made it part of their backstory so for our Doberman fighter called Rex um, his backstory was that he was raised by a knight who um, loved this dog and uh, wanted to have a companion animal essentially and so. Um, ordered a custom-made sword for this dog and took horse barding and had it modified so that it would fit a dog. So this dog has now armor, but it it resembles armor that you would put on a horse. Um, And just did all all these things and, you know, you you kind of build a backstory from that. And straight away, just having that kind of backstory, I think, makes people pretty invested in their dog and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. It became a benefit, actually, to have to give it some thought. So how does it work when they're interacting with the world, then? Like, if there's a chest or a trap that they have to disarm or Mm. a door or a puzzle they have to solve, what kind of things have you had to come up with to make it so that there's a way that they can do this thing without having to, like, go and get a human to do the thing for them? Sure. Well, a lot of the traps are simply, like, similar to animal traps so like pits or there's uh uh what do you call it when a net pulls you up the old the net that pulls you the, up the thing. net that pulls you up thing <laughs> <laughs> the old chewbacca don't don't pull that thing um or stepping on a stepping on a tile you know an arrow shoots at you all of those <laughs> indiana things, jones dark thing exactly all of those things just worked you didn't really need um because those are more more about like avoiding the thing rather than trying to decide it's not a weird complex magical thing no and i've got to say i haven't yet made any really complex traps um i'll try to i'm not very good at devising them i'll try to come up with something soon because i feel like that is one of my um weak points but uh so far they just have to deal with people underestimating them or thinking, oh, look at this, isn't this funny and cute? A dog that thinks it's a person. Um, so more social problems that they have to deal with rather than, you know, if they can't open a latch. They find a way to open a latch. They just make one of the, I don't know, they make the St. Bernard just sit on it and break it or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, and I imagine early on it must have been kind of a fun thing to put them like, here is a chest. None of you have hands. How do you how do you open it? That's the kind of thing you can do early on in a campaign, maybe a couple of times. But you mm-hmm. get to the point where it's like, okay, this, this was like a funny a funny bit it's when we did it the first couple of times. But now we just want to open the chest and move exactly, on. Exactly. Yeah. And besides, they have a little they have a little rogue who can somehow use lock picking tools. <laughs> I mean, it's very fun to just imagine this chihuahua with a lock pick in its mouth. So. In the interest of fun, I'm saying, yes, do it. And generally that works. So, uh, I want to touch on what you said about traps, because I think that's also my weak point as a DM. Like, I'm I'm bad about using actual traps. 
The only time that I've used traps was in a house that a uh, a woodworker who had um, he had gotten sick and gone a little bit insane, and he grew really paranoid about his family trying to kill him. And because he's a woodworker, he was able to just like keep extending his house, but it was just full of traps. Uh-huh. Um, and there, there was two things that I found online as, as tips. Is the first one is you have to telegraph it. There has to be like when they walk into an area, uh, there has to be a skeleton caught in a trap or with like a dart sticking out of its head or mm-hmm. something so that they can investigate and be like, oh, we need to be careful. Because if you just spring it on the players, it's it feels like a cheap attack, like, you know, like a sucker punch. Like It's it, unsporting. Yes, it's unsporting. It doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't feel good. Well, it uh, depends. I wonder if maybe you've got five traps in there and the first one can go off. Then they'll be a lot more careful and investigate the other four. Yeah. So I guess in that case, it would be yeah. semi-sporting. The thing that worked for me, though, was um, I... I'd ask the players, like, okay, what are you going to do next? And they'd be like, okay, I'm going to walk over here. And I would, or like they'd say, I'm walking up the stairs. And I'd be like, as your foot hits this next step, you hear a click Mm -hmm. roll. And like, like not giving them a chance to really like investigate and try and find everything. But like, they're traps. They're meant to be hidden. And unless one of them had like specifically said like, oh, I'm going to be really careful going into this room or opening this door. It was more of a like you've just heard something go click or you felt something break against your, like a wire break against your leg roll to try and dodge whatever it is. And the thing that I found that worked was that a bunch of these, the traps had either broken or it was just like a tile that had shifted due to age. Mm. And so like it kept them on edge because I kept making them roll and be like, Oh, it was just a tile. Like you're fine. Don't have to worry about anything. That's great. And by the end, the players are like, oh, my God, we need to get out of here. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, I, I did take these dogs into a goblin lair at one point. And there was a moment where they started, um, you know, the phrase thinking with portals, if you're playing portal, they yes. started thinking with their nose because it's very dark in there. And these dogs have advantage with perception with their nose. So it was suggested, one of them suggested, could they sniff to see which track the goblins are taking rather than, you know, because I had a trap where there was pits, but there was a safe way through it. And I was like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) you can sniff your way to safety. You know what? Actually, clever. Yes, you can win this one. Yeah. And I think those are the times where when stuff like that has happened to me, where it's like, congratulations you've solved my puzzle is like on the one hand you feel kind of stupid because they figured it out so easily but at the same time you're like that was really smart i'm proud of all of you yeah Yeah. exactly it's hard to say no no matter how much you want to if your players have actually come up with like a good smart clever solution that that really makes sense for the game they're playing too. yeah you have to reward them but sometimes sometimes (laughs) and hey you know it might be the case that they they run into something that's too much for them and have to flee and then those traps might come up again on their way out I mean, like, there's, it, for people that do want to, like, still, like, I made this puzzle, I want to challenge them, like, you could have done something like, there's a spot where the goblins have to jump. Sure. And, like, 
if you if they're sniffing on the ground and like i think for dog species i think the only one like there aren't many that can smell stuff that's in the air very well like i think that's the reason why bloodhounds are used for tracking is that they're really good at tracking scents even when like somebody like jumps up into a tree or something they can still track them so like there might be ways but like at the same time that feels like it's getting into just kind of being a dick and like no this is my puzzle you're gonna have to solve it like (laughs) no and if i have set up the adventure that really the traps are just on your way to the big exciting thing at the end then it's not really that that bad if they solve the trap it just added a bit of an extra spice on the way to the big encounter so yeah yeah and the way that i tend to think of it is that i'm like for something like that, like they're going into a goblin cave, the, like traps and stuff like that are, to me, a way to like make them understand that like, okay, you're entering into a dangerous area. You mm. need to be careful. And there might be other things that you might not be prepared for or like you just making sure the players kind of are paying attention to what's going on and maybe not so much like doing in-jokes and like having fun around the table, like paying attention to what's mm-hmm. going on on the map maybe. Actually, that's that's is a good way of thinking about it. It's just a way of making them pay attention to the game in and their surroundings. Yeah, hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> so Sean mentioned um, a different species of dog, and I think that leads us nicely into our next question, which is uh, how how do the the races and classes from the Dungeons and Doggies Kickstarters work? Like how yeah. how is that set up? It's set up to do with size. Okay. Really. So they have their big dog their regular dog and their lap dog or what i would call their big dog their dog sized dog and then you know handbag dog basically <laughs> and um there's i wish i'd bought the rule book with me but there is a um a few little bonuses that you get similar to say sub races of a dwarf or sub races of a of a different kind of elf and so the um, big big dogs have a buff to their strength. The regular ones have a buff to their constitution, and the little ones, of course, are very dexterous. And so you can um, fiddle around with the attributes in that way. And they have um, fun little extra perks. Like I know uh, the, our Pomeranian picked a little feat. So they, they, there's a little some dog specific feats you pick at the very start as well and one of them is that you're just so fluffy it is more ac they think they're hitting you no they're just hitting a bunch of fluff which for our monk monk of course that fit perfectly and our monks are pomeranian so i mean the joke we've come up with is that like physically the monk's body is this tiny scrawny little thing it's just, there's just so much fluff it's almost impossible to hit us. Have you ever seen a picture of like a pom like a pomeranian that's actually gotten just wet or soaked? Like they go from being like it they they look like any other dog and then they go to being like, Oh, that's a terrifying stick creature. Yes, exactly. And I did have a we did have a fishing trip where uh the Pomeranian who had never been swimming before, wanted to learn how to swim. And so of course straight away all of us were like, Oh my goodness, it's like seeing this the thing just coming out of the water where did all the fur go um yeah so something that i'm curious about is uh i uh backed a kickstarter for pugmire uh-huh. which is it's based on the fifth edition rules but the conceit is that it's 
uh, it's set in the future of our world, like three, four, five thousand years in the future, where humans have all disappeared and dogs have risen up as like they're all now intelligent and it, basically it's like medieval fantasy, but like magic is actually nanotechnology left over from when humans sure. were still around or whatever. But uh, from the rules, like it's kind of like the, that's kind of really the, the only difference is more like setting and fluff stuff. It's like, yeah, you're still a rogue. You're just a, happen to be a dog. And I think I've seen pictures of Pugmire where they are anthropomorphized. So they're standing yeah. up on their hind legs. Yeah. They are, yeah, it's dog people, cat people. And I guess I'm just curious if you had if you had looked at that and decided like no nah, that's not what I want to do or did you not know about it when you started? I the didn't campaign? know about it when I started. I, I learned about it pretty quickly because as soon as I started making fan art for you know dogs and Dungeons and Dragons, you know Pugmire came up, right? And I love the artwork that I saw, but it was it was a definitely a decision I made early on that there wasn't going to be a lot of sentient um, dogs and cats in this world that it was actually going to be extremely rare and that my players were special in that way and they just had to navigate a humanoid world as creatures that are usually just tools and pets but now they have a mind as well yeah so that's i guess that is something that I'm, i'm curious about is the the fact that it's it's a regular well for any given form of regular yeah. D world campaign they just happen to be sentient dogs mm-hmm. so what kind of what kind of problems do they run into what kind of things are adventures are they going on where people are like oh yes i'm going to choose the dogs to go and do this thing sure. for me well luckily the the kickstarter itself um came with a little adventure module which i used to start everybody up Right. And that was very helpful in many ways. One, I could see um, how to DM, being as this was my first go. It was very <laughs> nice having the crutch of, here's a pre-written adventure for you, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> it's been already tested. Uh, and the other thing was, it was a dog-specific adventure. There was something going wrong with the dogs in this village. They were attacking their owners. And... It was something to do with something they could hear. It was something that was only affecting dogs. Because of that, they needed help from dogs who could communicate. So that is why our players were brought in to solve this mystery. Right. I thought that was a very good pointer of, okay, this is this is a good way to, to start things off. There's a dog-specific problem that needs dog-specific help. And since then, I've been making uh, adventures that... I mean, sometimes they're, they're just a joke. Like like one of them, I had them chase a mailman. He was, he, they didn't realize he was the villain until towards the end of this adventure, but it ends up being the mailman is the villain and they have to chase the cart because he's escaping with, with stolen property and they end up chasing a mailman. And I thought, yes, there we go. So other, other, dogs specific like uh soon they're gonna have to uh dig up a bone you know there's a there's a there's a bone magical object that is causing problems and they're gonna have to dig it up things like that i mean to be honest like 
building a campaign that leads up to that realization that they're dealing with a, a horrible pun is my dream <laughs> like it's really good. it's it's it would be it's such an amazing feeling the few times i've been able to pull that off where the players are like oh god damn it <laughs> <laughs> isn't it great i love that look and one of them fittingly the one playing our rather slower uh, saint bernard he only realized a good half hour behind everybody else. He was like, wait, we're chasing the mailman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was delightful all over again. But yes, I've had them try to look for a magic object that then they realize is a ball. And they're like, you're, you're sending us to fetch a ball, aren't you? Like, maybe. <laughs> um, so things like that. I've been able to put in a lot of jokes. I've also taken them slowly a bit more of a darker direction. So they had to break up a dog fighting ring where dogs were being abused and mistreated and they had to rescue a bunch of puppies. Um, Then things like that, they're also helping out now uh, a group of people who are um, were creatures and they call themselves the in-between because they're not human and they're not animals, they're something in between. And the dogs, our players, they're also in-between. They are gradually just not being able to to talk with other dogs. They can't talk to their families anymore because the normal dogs are just, I mean, they're adorable, but they're slow. They're stupid. They talk in one sentence, like one word sentences. So I've been, I've been kind of deliberately doing it like food, walk, <laughs> friend, sniff butt. <laughs> like it's all very, very short things. And I, I have, really enjoyed seeing the look on the players faces when they go I can't talk to you anymore not really and then they try talking to a human but there's always that kind of barrier it's like ah we don't fit in here either so playing with that kind of thematic you're stuck in between two worlds thing I've been trying to trying to do something with that so first of all that is heartbreaking (laughs) Uh, but second of all I'm I'm glad you brought up our creatures because I was going to ask about that because that seems like the like, kind of an obvious point of comparison is, like, yeah, do they run into werewolves? Is that an issue? Do people blame them for things like maybe a werewolf has done and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, I'm glad you took it in a much more interesting direction. I should show you my map. Peter, we can't show the podcasters and listeners this map, but yes. We can take a photo and put it up on the, on the Twitter or something later. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll can you... have to do that after. Yeah. After well, there is a section on my... On this little world I made, there is a forest where where creatures live, and yes, they are very much mistrusted by the rest of society, and not just because you know they are untrustworthy because they are half beasts. No, they do attack, and they do do cause harm. Um, so I, I try to make it complicated in that way. It's no not really. These are the good guys. These are definitely the bad guys. It's like, no, everyone's got a reason for being unhappy right now. Yeah. How how have your players been taking to, to that? To which part of to, it? To just like the like going from kind of the jokey joke, oh we're fetching a ball quest to things got heavy. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean very well. They seem to follow the cues, the emotional cues pretty well. Uh, and they create a lot of the drama themselves really they they've actually been pretty proactive in in role-playing feelings of 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 sadness or of mistrust or of uh it it, it was um the player who plays rex who first 
sort of uh, brought up the fact that he can't really talk to normal dogs anymore. And was just saying that in a, in a group was like, yeah, I don't think we, this, this feels sad. And I thought, yes. Because that, that is the thing I think the DMs who are really into creating like a story or creating a world, like that's, for me, it feels like the end goal a lot of the times is I want to be able to do a campaign that touches on something like that, like mm-hmm. gets into those emotionally touchy feely bits of like, mm-hmm. like, okay, this is hard, not because this is a really hard monster. It's hard because you have to make a, like a meaningful, hard decision about, do we even talk to these dogs anymore? Do we do mm-hmm. this thing anymore? Like, Bravo, I think that's amazing. I think I'm kind well, of jealous. Look, when it works, it works. <laughs> uh, and it, it does, after a while you start to scratch your head and be like, how do I make this meaningful? It is difficult to have the players make a meaningful choice. Um, but I think just writing some conflict into a place where everybody has a good reason for wanting what they want. Um and then the players just sort of do what they do. It, it, it's it's not too hard, I think. Do you find that you have to do, like, breather episodes or we're going to go to the beach for a little bit kind of stuff? Like, <laughs> like, get, like okay, you've yes. just dealt with, like, you've helped this town figure out this hard thing or you failed to help this town figure out this hard thing. Let's go to the beach and run around and chase balls for a little bit. Like, do you have to give the players that kind of yeah. just... Yeah, yeah, and myself... Sometimes it's just nice if, like, hey, there's a fair on. Let's all play fairground games that is ends up being tug of war. Obviously, there's a there's a six legged race. <laughs> Clearly, it's got to be one. Um, you know, things like that. They are currently. I don't know when the uh, podcast is coming out, but currently, everyone's gone to the Feywild. Ah. Uh, which I didn't really plan on, um, but we're there now, and oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I had to make things crazy. Obviously, they're off to uh, well, they're they're going to Candy Mountain at the moment. Um, they go have to fetch a cake for the Squirrel King because he wants to have tea with Summer Lady, and clearly you, you must bring cake, the best cake, and therefore the best cake comes from Candy Mountain, and the dogs must go fetch that cake. So, yeah, things have gone back to crazy town, and I'm trying, it will get dark, but in the meantime, yeah, it's nuts. Have they met a blink dog yet? They have not met a blink dog yet. I haven't brought one in. I don't know what to do with one. Like, do I make them intelligent, or do I not? I think they are intelligent. I, because it's, I think, like, as soon as you mentioned that, I was just thinking about... The fact that, like, in fairy tales, like, elves are these, like, kind of weird, eldritch-ish beings. Mm-hmm. And just, like, they, like, in the fantasy stories that I read that I really enjoy, they play, like, elves are just, they're not human. Like, they might look it, but they're just different. They, yeah. they think about the world a different way, maybe because they're immortal, or maybe just that's the way their brains work. And... I could see blink dogs being kind of like the canine equivalent of just like, they just think about the world in a way that the, the, the players would just be like, wait, how did you come to that decision? Why is that the way you think? What is going on? Well, right. And I think it's really interesting because while you were talking, <clears throat> excuse me, I looked up their stats and even their baseline stats. The average fey dog is about as intelligent as an average human in D&D. 
and they're they tend to lean towards lawful good but like you you can always ignore that but like i think like it sounds like it could be interesting especially with the players questions of like we are something that is now not dogs but not human it's i think that could be like you could very easily make it like a dark contrast like contrastion that's not a word (laughs) (laughs) um like a dark mirror as to what they're becoming or alternatively it could make you know a place of comfort for them where they're like oh yeah there are these other like dog creatures and they're different too Mm -hmm. and there's someone else we can relate to uh well i have something like that in the game and it is a fey dire wolf um so is that what this mini it is what this mini is this is a bit of a guide and a and a creature that was in the uh, adventure module that came with the Kickstarter, um, but she was meant to be just one of those NPCs that shows up and leaves within the space of a few paragraphs. And my players were so enamored with her, and I enjoyed playing, role-playing her so very much that she just kept on coming back. And since then, I've developed this backstory. She wasn't Faye in the adventure module, but I kind of was like, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not have a half fey direwolf? That sounds cool. That'll make for a sweet bit of art. But let's do that one. Um, but I like your I like your blink dog idea because it's closer. At least wolves are wild and dogs aren't. So they'll have a yeah. And uh, another idea that I I had when when you guys were talking is that like you can kind of lean on the fact that blink dogs in the monster manual are lawful good because lawful good doesn't necessarily mean that you're sunshine and roses. It means that like you follow the letter of the law and a blink dog, the law might be fey law, which might get weird and interesting. I I do like that. They have uh, come into contact with bargains and the other I brought in, if they've made a bargain or some sort of a deal with a fae creature, then they feel pressure on the back of their necks until they fulfill it. And the pressure builds and builds. So that sense of you're now under some sort of geas or something. So that That, would be interesting. That's actually something that I'm curious about and how it's a question for both of you, I guess, is um, I feel like fae, especially especially in the fae wild, I guess, is that it feels like they're split like when you're dealing with a creature that is immortal and has so much time to, to learn how to lie while telling the truth or you know creating these deals that like you think oh i've got the upper hand here and then you find out like oh no i'm totally screwed mm-hmm. like how do you guys plan or execute or just role play those kind of characters because I feel like I'm never smart enough to do that kind of thing. Look, I don't feel I'm smart enough to do that either. <laughs> so what I think is that not every fae creature is going to be that smart. You will have the arch fae and you will have some intelligent ones. You'll also have some bootlickers. You've always got bootlickers just lying about. Will you have some, I don't know, little, little pixie that actually loves playing tricks but doesn't really think ahead beyond the next, like... Uh, little scrap little little trick not really so just spacing it out that way i have got a few you know more intelligent people slash creatures in that world 
but for the most part it's like anywhere it's like here's a creature who wants something it's kind of obvious what they want we'll won't delve too much deeper into it than that yeah so i don't think i've really ever run the fae i've run some blink dogs um and like kind of a one-off like they just showed up as kind of a random encounter and almost had to fight the party because one of the players had like a vendetta against all fae um (laughs) but i am like i'm running this kind of like parallel universe game and i think some of the uh some of the important npcs they're meeting are kind of work by similar rules to the fae where they have like they have their own very strict rules this is how things work um but the players aren't necessarily going to understand them until maybe it's too late I mean, so far they've only presented as allies, so who knows? But like, um, I feel like for me, it's one of those things where you you try and think of for those kind of like the smarter Fey, the scheming Fey, you just try and think of a way to trick your players that um, maybe doesn't make sense to a normal person. Like, just trying to specifically think of a weird justification can work for the Fey because they they like you know it's the old what's the term orange and blue morality. Yeah, they don't. Their morality is not the same. Their ideas of what should work isn't the same. Or, you know, if you run out of ideas, uh, watch, uh, was it Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell? That's a pretty good example of, like, terrible, thank you horrifying for, fae. Thank you for reminding me about that show, because I I meant to watch it when it came out, and I just, it slipped my mind. Yeah. But I haven't watched all of it, but I read the book it's based on, and I'm assuming that the fae are still as horrifying in that. Anyway, did we do we have another question? There? We do, yeah. Uh, so, for the listeners, uh, there are a couple of fantastic minis here on the table, as well as a wolf goblet. Yep, I uh, I walked into one of those, you know, those stores. They have dragons on dragons on dragons and skulls everywhere and crystals and things like that. I thought, yes, I will find the best props here, and I did. I found a goblet that has wolf heads all over it. Perfect. It's it's got like the kind of Celtic knot and like weird little vine things, and it's got some what I'm assuming are fake gems in the oh yes in the yes. the stem super real looking fake gems there in the handle stem yeah yeah and it's yeah it's it's a uh, it it looks awesome it's it's like because. It's actually not as terrible as people might be imagining. No, we will also put pictures <laughs> the of The are very tasteful. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's it. It was the most tasteful, awful thing I could find. <laughs> and But, it's like, I'm 110% on board with stuff like this because I love props. Mm-hmm. Like, I learned how to do calligraphy a little bit so that I could hand notes out to my players Ooh, with, like, seals. <laughs> oh. Because I'm that nerd. Um, but I... I guess my main question is, what do you use it for? Okay, so we use a system when they use their magic where we don't have spell slots but spell points. So what it means is that everybody has a jar of little crystals, like the kind of things you would put in a fish tank. And um, the, the the cleric has, has jewels of a certain colour and the sorcerer has jewels of a different colour. And as they use their spell slots, they will put these basically pull the their mana i guess out of their jar and then so far there isn't so many spell points that they can pop it into this goblet of mine and it's still enough room we're still good as they level up things are going to get cray cray so we're gonna 
maybe abandon the spell point idea when when they start having enormous bags of, of gems. But for now, fits in the goblet. Also, this goblet has a um, a, a prop that I use for giving inspiration, and it is a a piece of cardboard cut in the shape of a bone that says "Good dog!" exclamation mark <laughs> on it. And uh, when they earn inspiration, they get this good dog bone. Just getting a picture of all of that. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I guess something I'm curious about, because I've played a couple of role-playing games where there is a kind of a push-and-pull mechanic. Like in the Star Wars role-playing game, the player like at the center of the table there's these tokens and they can be there's a light side and a dark side because it's the force uh-huh. and the, if it's light side up the players can like flip it over and be like oh i find this item or uh there's an npc here that i know from back in the day or like it gives the the players a chance to like inject something into the story or if they really need a healing thing then like i need a healing thing it's it, i find it on the shelf over here um but then because they flipped it dark side up the DM then has a chance to be like, oh, that hit is actually much more dangerous. Or there's uh, that thing you're trying to do uh, sets off a whole bunch of alarms and now there's stormtroopers coming. Like there's a way for the players to do something, but when they use that ability, it gives the DM more permission, I guess, to do something mean. So I'm I'm curious (laughs) if, because it's specifically for spells, I'm wondering if you ever do something like, okay, I'm going to use some of these to do like a wild magic kind of thing i i haven't used those little spell crystals myself it's just a a variant and i believe you'll find it it's either in the dmg or it's in xanatha's guide about using spell points instead of um spell slots i haven't really thought of using those crystals myself at all because I mean, frankly, I'm the DM and I don't need permission to do something weird to me. If I want to do something horrible, I shall. Fair enough, um, fair enough. But that is an interesting mechanic. I gotta, I, I gotta look at that spell points rule. Because that sounds great. Yeah, I didn't know that that was something from, from one of the official books. I'm gonna have to take a look as well. It is. It's actually really lovely because they can see how much magic they have left. Right. And other people can see just across the table as well how, how well or how badly they're doing. And our monk as well uses them for key points. So yeah. as soon as they use up a key point, you know, it's it's similar to how the bard has a, a bunch of little um, d sixes in front of them to, to give out inspiration. And as they as they leave the bard's possession and be handed out, you know that you have this, and you know the bard is running out. So it's it's good visual aid. Yeah, I think that is one of the things that is such a good idea for D anD D because there's so much going on on a sheet mm-hmm. that the players or even the dm can't see across the table like how many spell slots do you have left exactly. or how much health do you have left that kind of thing one of the things that i really enjoyed when i was running a campaign was i got spent too much money on fake coins so each player had a purse <gasps> and i would like hand out coins whenever they found see, stuff i love props like that love and, them. and the players absolutely loved it because they would spend like when they went into like when he, when they got to a town where they could buy stuff they'd be like oh can i can i borrow a little bit of money and like there's a, like a, a bunch of wheeling and dealing and like oh can i use some of this party gold or oh, no we're gonna use the party gold to go and get some potions and stuff and it gave me the opportunity to like i only did this once because it was kind of mean but when they were in town uh they 
we ended the session with them going to sleep in an inn and they got robbed. But I did that in between sessions by just going and taking some from oh, all their bags. Fantastic. And then like they eventually So fig- you literally robbed the players yeah. of their props. Ah, oh, that's great. And and that's one of the things that I really like about props, whether it's um like a letter that has like a, an impactful message from a character that the players thought was dead or uh, like a summons from like a noble or a king or something or props that you can hand out to be like, yeah, you found this thing. And like, I've used like weird amulets that I found at thrift stores, stuff like that. It's really fun because it also gives you as a DM, like inspiration as to what the thing does. Mm -hmm. Like I, there was an amulet that I found that's like, Oh, I know what this does because just looking at it gives you ideas. I need more props. <laughs> this is what I'm learning right now. I need more props. Players love props. Everyone loves props. Yeah. The only yeah. prop I have is a hood that I put up whenever a cultist shows up. <laughs> it's purple and huge. I like it. It's totally not related, but when I first started getting, when I first started planning and telling people like, hey, I'm going to be running a D&D campaign, my sister asked like, gonna wear uh, a dm uh like wizard cloak with the hood i'm like no but now it's like kind of want to i want a wizard hat so bad i want to get one of the like the black mage from final fantasy like the big yellow hats that like kind of bend <laughs> but uh you know money <laughs> so back to dungeons and doggos <laughs> <laughs> um i guess do you have any other props that you've used in the in this game to like dog themed stuff that you've well, given to your players that dog themed things oh we do have treats so whenever they kill a baddie i have a little baggie of treats and i give them lollies wait candy you say in this country <laughs> i give them candy when they have successfully solved a puzzle or defeated a foe i think it's very good it's like good dog here's a treat you did very well um Maps always. I love making maps. So as many of them as I can fit in between trying to, you know, live my life and work a job. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, I use that. Oh, what would you call it? It's like a it's it's got a grid on it. It is one of those uh, dry erase marker. Um, oh, like it's a Chessex battle map. Yeah, it's a battle map. And it has, uh, you know, one side that looks like stone tiles and the other side looks like a wilderness oh okay so you and you draw on you draw everything on top of that and so having those um having that is extremely handy because then very quickly i can just draw up the an encounter yeah i think that was uh the reason why i kind of don't want to play online anymore because when i was playing around a table i had a chessex mat that was kind of as big as the table and being able to just draw right away and not because when you do stuff online it feels like uh, this is a me thing we've talked about in previous episodes like i just feel like i have to have really nice maps because it's on a computer screen Mm -hmm. but when it's just on the table in front of people i just take a wet erase marker and just like oh yeah here's a crappily drawn building that you're in now yeah and everyone responds to that everyone straight away is like yeah yeah all right i get it i can see where the bounds are where things to hide behind are i think visual aids really make it real and i think with the especially with the ones that i draw they're not great so there's a lot more room in the player's mind for like populating that with oh maybe there's a chair here or a fireplace or a window i can throw somebody through 
So you're saying it's it's good that you draw badly. It's better for everyone. It's a bonus. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Katie, thank you so much for coming in. No We've got our, our kind of traditional final question for you, which is uh, what's a piece of advice you wish you could go back in time and give yourself before running the Dungeons & Doggies campaign? Well, while I... Let's see. Very early on, I realized I don't have to be entertaining them all the time like that is actually not something i have to do as a dm and i think when i began i thought i did i thought i had to like boredom was the enemy right if they ever showed any little glimmer of checking out or anything like that then it was like oh no i'm a terrible dm i am not entertaining them but actually letting silences happen and letting players think and then talk amongst themselves is really good. I don't have to do everything all the time. And it actually gives them a lot more agency and time to, to mull things over. So I think that one. Yeah, one. that's a really good point because I think I felt that way at first as well. And yeah, realizing that you don't have to be on all the time. Like players need time to like maybe absorb something that just happened or they're planning and it gives that's time for you to like make sure that you're all prepared for what's coming next mm -hmm. behind the screen if you use one um no that's a great piece of advice and like that's that's a problem i had when i first started running too and now it's weird because it's the opposite where i'm like most of the time i'm sitting there expecting my players to entertain me and they do it works <laughs> out well for me that's it's like, good it's like here is a thing that's happening uh let's talk to each other in character for a while i'm gonna take notes <laughs> <laughs> good approach yeah so is there anything you'd like to plug well yes um the second third kickstarter by now is probably over by the time this podcast is out um, they have just wrapped up doing a Cats and Catacombs Kickstarter. So that has obviously cat-specific minis and a cat-specific adventure. But Steamforge is releasing um, a series. They seem to have locked themselves in now to, to releasing new dog miniatures and new adventures on a, on a pretty regular schedule, maybe like one a year at least. And so... I would encourage anybody to keep an eye out for them because the miniature quality is excellent. Yeah, the, these minis are fantastic. Yes. Um, and since doing a lot of fan art for them, I was actually asked to do some illustration work for the Steamforge next Animal Adventures coming out. That's amazing. As well, which was just a dream come true. So it's an extremely tiny role, but I'm in there. <laughs> And to have contributed to, um, you know, official animal adventures material is fantastic. That's that is awesome. really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com.
We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at Acompetech.com. Hey, my name is Eric. I'm Piers. And this is Podcast vs. Podcast. You're listening to us here on the Cave Goblin Network. We take turns pitching podcasts to each other. We're trying to find a good podcast to do because we don't have any ideas. So turn off whatever show you're listening to. Turn on our show. I was told that once, the earth was shaped like a dish. This was a time before mortals or the law. That time has long since passed, and no one tells those stories anymore. All they care to tell these days, over and over again, are the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.